say hello to Floyd Little and Jim Brown, Sean Tucker in the orange record books with his fifth touchdown of the game. All across CNY. Kick the tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. It's the 315. Hardy faking feeds the great Jameson. He scores! Here's Brian Higgins. Welcome in on this Monday. I hope everyone out there had a good weekend. A little snow on the ground, starting to look a little bit like Christmas as we uh, head into this week, down to, what, 12 shopping days until Christmas, two weeks from yesterday. A few basketball games to get through before then, one tonight in the Dome, Monmouth, 8 o'clock. Once again, we have a basketball tip time change, no longer 7, now 8, little change due to the soccer national championship game tonight. The Orange and Indiana. Looking forward to that one. That's at 6 o'clock. Watch it on ESPNU or watch it in the Dome. They're going to have it on the big board up top before the game. So uh, hopefully Syracuse will both win the national championship and do so in regulation time. Other, otherwise, uh, it's it's not going to be up there to, to watch anymore once the game starts. So uh, hopefully the Orange will uh, win the game and uh, win it in uh, a tidy 90. And take home the natty here tonight. We'll we'll get into the soccer game later on in the show today. Looking forward to that one. First time the Orange have ever played in a soccer national championship game. Chance to add uh, yet another sport to the national title collection list at Syracuse, to at least in the NCAA national championship era. There have been four teams that have won national titles. That doesn't include things like uh, football in 1959 or who the heck knows what going way back. But with NCAA titles, there are four large programs that have won uh, to their credit. They have been soccer looking to become number five. And to become the 15th NCAA national champion team all time at Syracuse. So hopefully they get it done. Good luck to the boys uh, tonight. As mentioned, a watch party at the Dome. Gates are opening at 5.30. So the gates are opening at the same time. Uh, the gates were going to be open at 5.30. With a 7 o'clock tip. Now the game's gates are opening at 5.30 with an 8 o'clock tip. There's a $10 tickets to selected sections. I, I guess those sections have a good look at the video board. I, the video board is large. Right in the middle of the dome. And if you don't want to pay for tickets at all, I have the best news for you. Couldn't have better news. I've got two. Two tickets here. Trivia. Tickets. 2.30. Mark it down, 2.30. Trivia. Tickets. I have them. We'll see how it goes. Um, the, la- the last two giveaways have taken a minute, but we've eventually landed on the proper answer. So uh, trivia tickets, 2.30. Study up. I'm not going to tell you what to study. Just start studying. Find something and study it for the next half hour. We'll give away tickets at 2.30. Talk Giants at 3 o'clock. Dan Duggan, beat writer for the Giants on The Athletic. <sighs> Oof. That's that's what our conversation is just going to be. Ooh, boy. That's the whole thing. Because, yeah. It was bad yesterday for the Giants. They were playing the best team in the NFC. One, are, are the Eagles the best team in the NFL? Maybe so. I was impressed in the just absolute butt-whooping the Giants took yesterday. Impressed in the Eagles. I was... 
Not so happy to be watching it. But, man, the Giants just got absolutely cold-cocked yesterday by the Eagles. Good news! They get to play them again! So Dan Duggan will join us to talk about that a little bit, and I, I think we'll try to spin it forward as much as possible. There's not a whole ton. That's one of those games where... That's like a you take the game film and light it on fire kind of games. I don't know what you're going to find in that. Well, we watched the game back. Turns out the Eagles are good at football. Okay. Moving back to Washington. Hey, didn't we just play them? Yeah. So the Giants in Washington, it's been flexed to Sunday night football. Sunday night football wants more football. These teams played just one week ago, and it was a tie. And uh, realistically, it's uh, the biggest remaining game of the season here for the Giants and probably for Washington as well. The Giants are sitting in the seventh and final playoff spot at this very second in time. They are tied with Washington. The Washington football team commanders, whatever they're calling themselves now, oof. Uh, They are tied with the Giants. They have the tiebreak at the moment. They are in sixth. So huge, huge game this upcoming Sunday night. Tariq and the guys. Looking forward to that one. But we'll talk to Dan Duggan coming up at 3 o'clock. Tickets at 2.30. Talk a little soccer national title game and the power the Orange are playing tonight in Indiana. The Orange are the higher-ranked team this year, but uh, Indiana is the best program in the history of that sport. So that's what the Orange are up against tonight. But first, the hoops. Let's get into this Georgetown game from the other day. We'd love to hear anybody's uh, thoughts on that or anything today at 315-437-7644 for ESPN 44. Uh, do keep that number handy for the tickets we'll be giving out in 25 minutes time. But the Orange beat Georgetown 83-64 on Saturday in the Dome. Did the Ring of Honor thing with Coach Beheim and Pro Washington and all that great stuff. And then the game the game started. Well, the Ring of Honor stuff was later. But anyway, the, the game started and uh-oh, 9-0. Georgetown has the 9. That's not good. A few minutes later, down by 11. Still not good. And then the rest of the game, no complaints. The complete opposite of no complaints. What a, what a performance by Syracuse. And we get it. Georgetown's not good. They're better than Monmouth, who the Orange are playing tonight. But Georgetown's not good. They're very, very not good. But the Orange pounded them. Well, that's a good sign, right? If you're playing a team that's not good, and you fancy yourself to be uh, better than not good, which the Orange do, despite being 6-4. and four. If you're playing a team like that on your home court, well, go out and beat them and do it convincingly. And that is exactly what the Orange did on Saturday. Not a fluke about it. Who's your best player? Is it Jesse Edwards? Is it Judah Mintz? How many times have we had these conversations this season? We, we keep changing the answer. And say right now, I guess it's Jesse Edwards. He's been dominating for the last few weeks. What changed on Saturday? Absolutely nothing. Your best player went against your rival in the Dome and said, give me the ball. 20 points for Jesse and did it. Say, oh, can Jesse do it against big guys? Like legit. Large people. Strong people. Well, the answer Saturday was yes. Good as Wahab. Georgetown's big man, he had a double-double, 10 points and 11 rebounds, but fouled out of the game, and he just couldn't handle. He could not handle Jesse at the defensive end of the court. Couldn't handle. Yeah, is Jesse as big? He's as tall, but he's taller. Is he as big or as strong as a guy like Wahab? No, he's not. But he showed 
on Saturday, the way he's playing right now, that don't matter. He's decisive. And he's confident in what he's doing. He's getting to his spot. And he's showing you that he has a variety of spots that are his right now. He can make that quick move to the rim and finish. He can beat your big man down the floor. He was fancying himself a bit of Tim Duncan, it felt like, a few times on Saturday with a little bank shot jumper. And he even stepped out a little bit on the baseline. And then adding the rebounds, you looked looked at the stats midway through the second half, and you said, well, okay, the Yards are going to win this game. More likely than not at that point, it was a double-figure game. Jesse's got his points. He's a main reason they're leading, but it's kind of weird. Where's the where's the double-double situation? He's only got four rebounds. Ended up with nine in the second half. 20 and 11, five blocks. 20 points, 11 rebounds, five blocks. And you know what's great for Jesse? Like, that's a fantastic game. 20, 11, and five. For him, it's just like, okay. Yep. What? Yeah. That's what we do now. That's what we do every day. We show up, we lock it in for 2010 in a few blocks, and we keep it moving. That's a sign to the season you're having. When you put up 20, 11, and 5, and it's nothing special. And that's meant in the most complimentary way possible. So a huge sign uh, for Jesse going to go up against some legit size in Georgetown and saying, yeah, that's not going to be a problem for me this year. But then you got Judah Mintz. The evolution of Mintz here in the young season has been impressive to watch. You know, Syracuse has got the three wins in a row now. And here are the numbers. Mike Waters broke this down in his article this morning on uh, Syracuse.com, a little look back and a preview of tonight's game with Monmouth. First seven games of the season for Judah, a.k.a. the first seven games of his career. 22 assists, 18 turnovers. Slightly better than one-to-one ratio. You know, and he played well and he, he scored and made some nice passes at times, was a little reckless with the ball at times. He's a freshman. And this is not to say... He has magically erased turnovers from his game for the rest of time. We all know that's not the case for any point guard, much less the freshman point guard. But the last three games, Notre Dame, Oakland, and Saturday against Georgetown, 17 assists, 1-7, one turnover, just one. 17-1. That's unbelievable. 17-1. 10 assists, one turnover in the win on Saturday for Mintz. 16 points as well. And uh, here's how well Judah played uh, on Saturday. Like the 16 points, and he had some strong, strong takes to the basket. The 16 points were just kind of like, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, he had 16. Of course he did. He was 10 of 11 at the line. That tells you he was putting himself in harm's way. You want a point guard that can make free throws uh, in every year on any team anywhere. And uh, Judas Shoney, you got that. Obviously, you got Gerard as well, one of the best free-throw shooters in the country. But uh, the turnovers and assist numbers, start of the season, last three games, stark difference for Mintz. And just the way he's playing. Like, he had one speed early in the year. He's starting to show us that he can work the shifter a little bit. Like, he was going hard at the basket when he went. When he didn't go, though, he, he knew what to do with it. And that's a difference we're seeing with Judah then and now. 
and then was just a few weeks ago. Gerard was, you know, a tale of two halves. He had 15 in the game, 12 in the first half. That four-point play was monstrous Was the Orange were building the lead late in the first half, and uh, just one three-pointer made late on in the game. So it was an interesting game of Gerard, but uh, Coach Beheim spoke of it after the game, the, the fact that Georgetown, and this is going to be the key for Gerard the rest of the year, until or even more so if not, there is anyone else stepping up from the outside. Gerard right now is the lone consistent three-point threat that other teams are worried about. Could they become worried about Chris Bell or Justin Taylor at some point later this season? I suppose they could. But right now they are not. They are worried about Gerard. Gerard alone is the only threat you have to space the floor and stretch out the defense. So, yeah, he missed shots. But just his presence on the floor and hitting something early so the defense is reminded of it is is key. It's huge. And then, you know, the rest, Benny, 13-4, and four, was kind of a whole hummer. Didn't really had a couple of big dunks, but didn't really stand out in any way. And I think we're seeing it now. We've been talking about it for a week and a half at this point. John Bolajak is here to stay. This is clearly now not a one-game thing. We hadn't thought about, talked about, considered John Bull before last Saturday in South Bend when he played a significant chunk of the game and was on the floor at the end and then had the defensive play that sealed the game. And then you play the next game, it is just a blowout of Oakland. Blowout of Oakland. John Bull, first power forward off the bench, replacing Benny. Okay, did fine, didn't play a ton of minutes. Malik Brown comes in, puts up pretty big numbers during the blowout, but pretty big numbers. Now we get to the game after that. Okay, what's the rotation look like? Where are we at? Well, John Bolajak on Saturday, five points, including the double pump fake score through traffic, make the free throw? What? Five rebounds as well, a couple of assists, 20 minutes. Malik Brown? Yeah, that's his stat line. He didn't play. The Orange played nine. I I think we know the rotation now. Jim Beheim has his nine. He has his group. John Bull is his backup power forward. Justin Taylor and Chris Bell are the small forwards. Bell will continue to start. Taylor will play off the bench. Justin Taylor played 16 minutes, didn't really do a whole lot in the game. Munir Hima. His minutes will be dependent on Jesse Edwards' foul situation, it looks like, because Edwards is playing so well. Hema played great late in the first half, but was only on because of Edwards' foul trouble. And as a three-guard rotation, Samir Torrance is the backup guard. That's the rotation. Malik Brown is not in the rotation. Kadir Copeland is not in the rotation. I think we saw, as definitive as one can be, on what would have been December 10th on Saturday. I think we saw what is the rotation now. It has been morphing and moving and being shaped and formed over the opening 10 games of the season, and it will expand beyond that tonight. Monmouth is not good, very not good, 1-9 and nine not good, but I think that's the rotation now. I think we know it now. Could there be times some of those others get on the court later in the season? Uh, I, I'm sure there are, but during the course of normal affairs... In uh, a normal game, whatever you want to call it, that that's it. That's Jim Beheim's nine. In some years, you know, 
In some years, it's eight. I think in a lot of years, it's eight. There's the one backup forward, there's the one backup guard, and there's a backup center. This year, it's going to nine because it feels like just the way the forward position has gone down, that the forwards are more separate spots than they have been in other years. You have a backup four and a backup three, where in the case of before, you know, there was people that could switch between those positions, where this year that does not feel to be the case. So that just seems to be where things have uh, come down at at this point. But again, the Orange were down nine. They were down 11 in the first half. They were down nine nothing and win the game going away by 19. Massive turnaround. There was essentially there was a, a 30-point turnaround over the course of the game. You take the last 30, 35 minutes of the game, complete and total, utter domination by Syracuse. Again, it's Georgetown. They're not very good this year. But if you are Syracuse and you are trending up, you should take a team like Georgetown and pound them. And that is exactly what the Orange did on Saturday. With that, we'll take a break. We'll hear some of Jim Beheim from after the game on Saturday when we come back. Uh, give or take 2.30. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets for tonight. Get there early, watch the soccer game, tip time at 8 in the Dome. I've got two, I've got trivia. We will do that in about 13, 15 minutes or so. Here from Dan Duggan, Giants athletic beat writer, Giants beat writer for The Athletic. He may be athletic, I do not know Dan's 40 time, but he is the Giants beat writer for The Athletic. He'll join us coming up at 3 o'clock. With that first break, here's some from Jim Beheim when we come back after this. It's QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. ESPN 97.7 at 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across central New York, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. Did you grow up on a tractor? Did your daddy let you drive? All right, rolling along here on this Friday. Even uh, breaking news. Breaking news. We're not doing it right now, but news is breaking. I'm told that later in the program, which means you have to keep listening, later in the program, we're going to be registering people to potentially get a chance to shoot a three-pointer at the Cornell game on Saturday to potentially win tickets to the game against Duke. Stay tuned later in the program for what we're going to do for that. I only made one trivia question today, so we're going to do something else. Maybe call our number like 7,012. And, you know, we'll figure it out later in the show. Dan Duggan's coming up from The Athletic in 10 minutes to talk about the Giants. You know, I like Dan. I like talking Giants most of the time. Oof. Didn't like what I saw yesterday. Didn't like what I saw yesterday. Nobody liked what they saw yesterday. It was gross. The whole thing was bad. Anywho, let's enter the transfer portal. Into the portal. The portal is active. We're portaling. People are in. People are out. Updates. Uh, The Orange still have the same amount of coordinators as they did last week. Jason Beck in. Robert and I out. Tony White out. Nobody officially in. Sounds like the swag daddy. It's going to be the interim defensive coordinator for now. And Nick Monroe. Shout out Nick Monroe. We like Nick, whether he gets the the gig full-time or not. And the fact that that you know, that his sons have jerseys that say that indicate themselves as Swag Son. Just so you know, 
Like the whole Swag Daddy experience is fantastic start to finish. We'll, we'll see if he's the right guy to run the Orange defense. That's neither here nor there, but uh, shout out Nick Monroe. Uh, but somebody is uh, leaving Nick Monroe's uh, unit. He is the secondary coach right now. The transfer portal is open. It opened a week ago today. It remains yawned open. People can still hop in where they arrive. Nobody knows. Jeremiah Wilson is an Orange freshman uh, defensive back who played this year. He was a uh, primarily reserve, a special teams guy. He becomes the seventh orange player to enter the portal. He's a freshman defensive back from Kissimmee, Florida. It's two S's, two M's, and two E's. Two I's not next to each other and a K. 20 tackles this season in 12 games. He was fine. You know, he played a lot. Role clearly would grow going into next season, but uh, opts to exit. No reason or anything given as of yet. But he is now the seventh orange player to enter the portal. None have appeared on uh, the other side of the portal yet. But the Orange obviously are in the portal. They're poking around. They're peeking around. They're looking around. And what has popped out? (gasps) It's an offensive lineman. The Orange have found an offensive lineman, people. His name is Joe Moore. Just one Owen Moore. He has a transfer in from Richmond. How do we feel about that? Good size. 65302. Now, this was already his fifth year in school. He arrived there in 2018. So here's his career. In 2018, he played four games, but that's it. So redshirted. Started in 2019. He Richmond is a 1AA FCS school, so they played not in 2020, 20, but in 2021, in the spring, they played four games. So we'll get a COVID year for that. That he started all 11 games in uh, 2021, which was last year, and I believe he started every game um, this year as well. So he's a a multiple-year starter on the offensive line at Richmond. There's not going to be a a stat I'm going to be able to look up that tells you like how good this guy is, but he's got legit size, 6'5", north of 300 pounds. And, yeah. So he's in the mix. Offensive linemen in the mix are never a bad thing. So, Joe Moore, welcome. Welcome to Joe Moore. And, you know, we talked about this year. Dino Baber set aside potentially up to maybe 10 Around 10 scholarships to use on portal people? So we get called if you go into the transfer portal? I am a portal person. And uh, Joe Moore at Richmond, lower level of football, but now he's got a sixth year. He's going to a higher level. Big guy. He's from Tennessee. And we'll see how he fits in. But good to have, you know, bodies like that. Just because a guy comes into the portal doesn't mean he's going to start or guarantee anything. But, okay, you talk about depth. You want depth? There's some depth. Joe Moore, welcome. And there is your portal update for a Monday. With that, we'll step aside. When we come back, we'll talk Giants. Do we have to? Hmm. Guess we don't. We're going to. Dan Duggan, Giants beat reporter for The Athletic. He joins us when we come back. It was brutal. Brutal. Giants got pounded by Philly yesterday. The most important game of the season upcoming. They got Washington Sunday night. The winner of that game, still on track for the playoffs. The loser of that game, uh, in trouble. And it's turning into a, a quagmire of a race between Washington, the Giants, Seattle, and uh, 
Don't look now, but Detroit for the final two playoff spots in the NFC. Dan joins us when we come back. Right after this, it's QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse Sports Talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. It's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. Here I am. Oh, we almost screwed up that contest. That would have been bad. We would have had to shut the whole station down. We don't have enough tickets for that. So Caller 3 has been registered to for a chance, to win a chance, to take a half-court shot on Saturday against Cornell. Not a half-court shot, a three-point shot. I'm just making up and changing the rules. There needs to be a disclaimer. Whatever I've said is not actually the rules for this contest. Please disregard. Three-point shot. Whoever gets it, we're going to draw it later in the week on Axe. We're going to register people over the next few days. We're making this as vague as possible. Because I've already forgotten what the rules are. Somebody, one of our fine, fine listeners, will get a chance to shoot a three-pointer on the court during a timeout against Cornell on Saturday. And if they make a three-pointer, they will get to go to the Duke game. That is reasonably close to what we'll be doing later on in the week. With that, it's uh, way past 3.15 in the 3.15, but uh, here we go with this. Here's the 4.11. Hello, and welcome to Movie Phone. If you know the name of the movie you'd like to see, press 1. <laughs> oh, wait, you serious? Let me laugh even harder. In the 3.15. And so you're going to be doing that all week, right? Nah. It's time for the 411 in the 315. Kind of a a sad day for news on the 411 here in the 315. Where a a couple of uh, shocking uh, medical situations uh, about the world of sports here in the the last few days. you know, we've uh, we've been doing our World Cup uh, viewing, watching, and whatnot. And there'll be uh, World Cup uh, semifinal games during the shows uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. But this has not been a, a a World Cup of happy fun times with everything that's going on in Qatar and Qatari officials basically uh, taking the idea. There've been you know worker deaths and another one recently in the last uh, week or so that have helped uh, build and maintain the, these stadiums and just kind of laughing it off, saying, "Oh well, that just happens." Mm-hmm, no. It, no, but uh, one of the reporters who's been doggedly reporting on that and has been uh, the preeminent soccer journalist uh, in America and uh, one of the best writers, uh, sports writers in America, uh, soccer-wise, for going on 15, 20 years and uh, started his career at ESPN, uh, or not ESPN, uh, Sports Illustrated, 25, uh, a little bit more than that years ago, is Grant Wall, who uh, shockingly passed away literally uh, during the Argentina game he was covering on uh, Friday where he collapsed in the press box there at the stadium and was unable to be revived and passed away at the age of 48. But uh, it was amazing to watch on Twitter and elsewhere all of the stories that came in about uh, this guy. And I don't know about any of you. I'm not, I've talked about this through the whole World Cup. Like I'm not a huge soccer guy, but you pay attention to uh, the World Cup or what the U.S. is doing or you know if there's a major story uh, somewhere. And the guy who's writing you read about it was his. And it was his first, and it was nobody else's second. Like he be, he was a 
writer for Sports Illustrated that wrote on a lot of things, started on the college basketball beat. He wrote the first cover story about LeBron James. He wrote a lot of stuff that got read by a lot of people. Then he said, I want to cover soccer. And then he did that better than anybody else. So uh, sad news, uh, especially against uh, the backdrop of the Qatar World Cup. The last story he wrote was about basically the, the terrible people that were running the World Cup and did not care about the ill effect they were having on anybody else. And obviously a lot of conjecture that goes along with it. He'd gotten death threats over there. We have no idea. And it sounds like it just he had a, a tragic medical event, but who knows? His body, his brother has been kind of live tweeting the whole day. It, it got it surreal to watch it going on, but uh, Grant's body has been transported back to the United States. He lives in New York City. Um, and I think they're going to get the autopsy and all of that uh, today and whatnot, but it's just a, a stunning uh, story, the way it played out in real time on social media and uh, a lot of you know, crazy conjecture and all of that out there. But the, the main thing that came out of that were people talking about this guy and 8 million people basically all said the same thing. They all had the same story. Oh, he helped me out on this. He did this on me. He complimented me on this. He helped me start my career, this and that and the other thing. So a uh, sad news uh, with Grant Wall, the preeminent soccer journalist in the, the United States and one of them uh, worldwide uh, passing away on Friday while covering, literally covering, he was at the game live tweeting about the Argentina game against the Netherlands uh, on Friday uh, when he had a whatever happened, a serious medical issue at the stadium and passed away. And the other uh, sad news that is going on as we speak, if anyone hasn't seen, involves Mike Leach, the eminently quotable character head coach of now Mississippi State, formerly of Washington State and before that Texas Tech, one of the lead architects of the air raid offense when he was the offensive coordinator at Kentucky under Hal Mummy, Tim Couch is the quarterback. But Mike, uh, yesterday at his home in Starkville, he collapsed at home or reportedly had a massive heart attack and uh, never good when you need to be airlifted anywhere uh, for medical reasons. Was airlifted from Starkville closer to uh, where Ole Miss is in the hospital there, I believe in Jackson, Mississippi, to be uh, cared for. Mississippi State has been putting out a variety of statements. This was from earlier this afternoon that Mike Leach remains in critical condition at the University of Mississippi Medical Center in Jackson. Mike's family is with him and appreciates the overwhelming expressions of love and support for the coach, but also requests that the family's privacy to be respected at this time. All, all reporting and sourcing whatever sounds like it is a very uh, dire situation uh, for Coach Leach, which then leads you, you go on. I mean, if you type Mike Leach into Twitter or Google, like the amount of just crazy things that he's said over the years, that I mean that in a good way, uh, all pop up. Uh, one of them being a piece he did with Jeremy Schapp on ESPN a few years ago on E60, where Jeremy asked him something to the effect of, and hopefully that's not what this is coming to right now, but it might be the case, asked him something to the effect of, what, what would you want to read about yourself in your obituary? And Mike's answer was, what do I care? I'll be dead. That's Mike Leach uh, right there. He always has something. Uh, and we got to just, just for the sake of it, this is not a great reason, but there's oh, there's never a bad reason to play Mike uh, Leach sound. This was him after a game. I don't think it was this year. I think it might have been last year. Uh, it was nearby Halloween, and uh, Mike has opinions on everything, and uh, this opinion was on uh, Halloween candy. We talked about on the broadcast how you hate candy corn. What's your favorite Halloween candy? Candy corn. I mean, I completely hate candy corn. Um, uh, when I was a kid, well, gummy bears, let's see. 
uh, gummy bears for sure. Sour or regular? Uh, um, the, the, the Haribo. It's got to be the Haribo ones. And then uh, the other thing I like is uh, is when they used to have the, the uh, sprees in a box. Outstanding. You have to go to the dollar store to find it, but I do. And then the latest, the, the latest, you know, there's still candy innovation, although a while back I found that Europe had better candy than we did overall because <laughs> they have gummy everything. And then, uh, but the... Uh, um, the uh, you know they have those nerds clusters, which is new. With the gummy. Yeah, which is good. The nerds clusters is good. And then if you go chocolate, uh, probably almond joy. Love it. Hopefully you'll get some of that next week. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Thanks, coach. All right, thank uh, you. you know he is priceless. Wishing the best for Mike Leach, uh, currently in a, a very serious uh, medical situation down uh, in Mississippi. Uh, ironically, it all ties back into all the defensive coordinator stuff we were talking about last week. Because now the uh, uh, acting head coach uh, for the moment of the Mississippi State football team is uh, none other than former, for 11 days, Syracuse defensive coordinator, uh, one Zach Arnett. Dino Babers uh, tweeting out, uh, recently, my thoughts and prayers go out to Coach Mike Leach, his family, and the entire Mississippi State community. And that is uh, thoughts like that, and clearly people that were on in the know last night when things were happening. Like It has been coming from everywhere in the football community. Uh, that guy, a, a unique character in college football and what is college football if not a collection of unique characters that keep the whole thing uh, interesting so wishing the best for mike hopefully there is uh, something at that hospital that can help him out going forward but that will take a break i don't know if mike would care about the soccer national title game uh tonight that doesn't sound like it would be something in his wheelhouse and he'd probably have something uh, interesting to say about it but we do we'll tell you about cuse and indiana for the championship tonight We'll do that when we come back after this on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio.